Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers focused on helping you navigate your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we discuss in this podcast is information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, we're a couple weeks into 2022. Did you make any New Year's resolutions or how's the, uh, how's the New Year going for you? Oh, it's going excellent. Love and life. Um, going to keep doing the fitness stuff. I want to do a half marathon. It's been a while since I've done that. Um, I was thinking though, it's been, tr- it, so it's 2022. It's been 22 years since uh, Y2K. You remember that? Uh, I do. And it's 20 years, even though you and I aren't that old, we're not that young. It has gone so quickly. Yes, this entire time has gone so quickly and just where we're at with everything now. And I just thought about Y2K and the notion of desktop dial up and no one had cell phones and we all panicked over that. I don't know, it just was interesting to note 22 years since Y2K. Just, I, I don't know. Our life moves fast. Everything moves fast. I'm glad to hear you're running another marathon because as our listeners may or may not know, you used to run a lot I remember being at your house a couple times. You had a beautiful collection of like 20 marathon medals in the basement. So you're getting back into that. I have a lot of medals. Now you just get them for finishing. So there's no particular prestige That's with these more medals. more than I've ever done. So uh, the, uh, you put those in a place of honor. It's pretty nice. I think thinking of that, thinking of time. So I started running probably around 2005. It would have been early in my college years at that point. And, um, I remember I got this book and it was called the runner's diet and I got it. It was one of these free books you could get from the college library. Like no one had checked this book out in, in probably 20 years. So it was from like the seventies or eighties and just the, the tips in there from runners that, um, were preparing for marathons at that point. It was just very bizarre. One of them was like, I eat, you know, I eat a T-bone steak. 20 minutes before I, I run a marathon. And I'm like, if I try, if I did that, that sounds like, really some, hard and I don't even run something bad would happen. Right. And another, another guy was like, Oh, you know, I, I go on, a, I go on a fast for four days before I do an ultra marathon. And I'm like, what? Like, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? <laughs> so I, we've come a long way as a community running community or fitness community. Right. Cause now you see all sorts of people running of all ages and, um, anyone can do it. Right. So, I've been a little injured the last few years. I've had some calf problems and I've had some uh, hip problems, but I'm kind of tired making excuses and I think I can do it. It's just maybe not going to be as fast as I once did, but I get a lot of joy out of it and it's good. So I'm looking forward to it. How about you? What are you doing? Well, the best thing there, I think the takeaway is you're still doing it. Uh, For me, we've joked about it on the podcast. I mean, yeah, I did lose some weight last year. But I think the most important thing that I did, not being resolution oriented, but I just started exercising more and just being intentional with what I'm eating uh, and what I'm doing and sort of carrying better habits going forward, not setting goals in defined windows of time, but just saying, what are we doing? Uh, Is this a good thing to be doing? Is it moving us forward and continuing to build on those better, healthier choices? Sweating. 20 minutes a day, three days a week. Like it just does great things yep. for you. Um, 
and it, it that just doesn't even speak to what you're eating. Like I'm not a big diet guy, or yes, I don't, I don't really care what I eat as long as I'm you know moving and and sweating. I think that's really important. But anyway, this is not a fitness uh, fitness podcast. It's not Tony Little. I think that was the guy that was on all the uh, infomercials. Yeah, back. or Tony Little, or uh, sorry, I was I won't talk about Tony Robbins. You're exactly right, Tony Little, <laughs> the guy with the ponytail, the guy with the ponytail and the gazelle and that glide thing. I'm a gazelle. That he was always- <laughs> selling at like three in the morning on the shopping channel that was why i remember that yeah there you go yeah yeah guy was the man all right speaking of uh i'm a pony and moving on and giddy up let's get on to the questions we got questions to answer uh you can send your questions to us lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com that's lawyers plural talking about divorce at gmail.com probably get to it on. have you ever used one of those gazelle things actually before we totally jump off topic i remember using it was a big orb type thing you'd lay on your back and it was like an ab cruncher so it would force you to oh, roll sure I, yeah i'm physically doing it uh, as i'm sitting in front of my mic but you just sort of roll forward i remember that was big on the infomercials i still have an ab slide you'd never know it if you looked at my abs but i have this thing it's like i i bet you i got the it off the infomercial you, yeah the wheel you, thing it was that's that was really huge. hard you have to balance no i'm talking about the straight up like a treadmill where you put your feet in the things and they slide and glide around i mean they have them in gyms also hard i shouldn't talk about if, this if We're you're listening and you have all the, the exercise equipment it's just gonna be like uh rob hurts himself or talks about how hard this is that's if, not the if point you have a gazelle mind. and you're listening feel free to email us lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com <laughs> and uh send a picture of you using it because uh, i'm having a tar- tough time visualizing this device but i know that they were popular We'd probably get popular too if we got on with our questions that people want us to answer. So let's get into those. So question one, hello, Robin Darren. Thank you for your podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. They're so informative and have allowed me to understand a lot of things I may have otherwise overlooked in my journey to getting divorced and done. Thank you very much. I've got a difficult situation. I'm struggling to figure out how to deal with it. Let me give you some background. My ex and I were together starting in 2008. We were never married, but we did get engaged. Prior to a vacation, before our wedding was planned, uh, my ex planned something else for me, a surprise. I thought he had something romantic planned for us, but upon my arrival to a location a week before our vacation, he asked me to sign a prenuptial agreement. He paid a lawyer and asked me to go in to speak to this attorney and sign a prenuptial agreement. I was caught off guard, but I did sign the document, not truly understanding what it said. My ex said to me, without this agreement, there would be no wedding. Fast forward to 2019. After many years of abuse, I left the family home, which was given to him as an inheritance. Uh, The prenuptial agreement stated I would have no benefit to his assets. We had children, and I was the primary caregiver for them from birth, as well as uh, the primary breadwinner. I not only paid the bills, but also maintained the home, renovations, paid for some appliances, furniture, furniture purposes, and the like. I allowed him to finish his degree at post-secondary school while I worked to support our family until our second child. Right now, excuse me, our parenting is a mess. I believe he has nannies or other people caring for our children at his house as he does little in terms of actually caring for them when they're with him. Our parenting time is split 60-40, but I don't think he's actually using his parenting time. He's merely doing the basics of feeding our kids and making sure they've showered most days. 
I'm wondering if courts will look at this and grant parental responsibility and more parenting time to me. I am a shift working nurse and I'm struggling to drive them 30 minutes to school and back because he refuses to move them closer to me. I'm struggling to make it work or even change my work schedule because I don't have help with dropping the kids uh, to and from school and their other appointments. We have we also have uh, a family that live out of the country and I want to regularly travel out of the country to take the children to visit with them. And my ex is denying this out of country travel and only allowing us short trips where really we would need more than two weeks for travel uh, for the international visit. I'm worried about the prenup agreement that we signed in dealing with our property and how can I get a better parenting arrangement for our children. So lots going on. Looks like this uh, all stems from this prenuptial agreement that um, looks like she didn't even have her own lawyer uh, that she was signing it with. Looks like it might have been his lawyer based on her question. And they're separated. The parenting time is 60-40. I'm not certain who has 60 and who has 40% of the time. Anyway, lots to unpack here. Rob, what do you think? There's tons to unpack, but this is a great question because it speaks to exactly why you and I developed the Divorced and Done Steps. This listener articulates at the beginning of her question, she's on her journey to getting divorced and done. And having listened to our show, I assume more than once, she knows that our goal is for everyone to generally avoid court, make your divorce as effective and hopefully efficient as possible, which means both in terms of time and expense, and get you well on your way and over your ex and hopefully your children in a better situation so everybody can move forward. Step one, she satisfied that. They're separate and apart. We don't know how long they've been separate and apart, or I guess, excuse me, she says 2019, finally left the family home. So we don't know when in 2019, so that's two to three years they've been apart. You've been separate and apart. That's positive. It's happened for a long time. You have a parenting arrangement, but it sounds like it may or may not be working. I'm less concerned about what she believes may or may not be happening in dad's house for the parenting, whether it's nannies or other people, than are your children safe? Uh, is he an appropriate parent? Uh, and that she can manage her work to make her work as a nurse operate effectively so that she can be the best person she can be at work while balancing her responsibilities as a parent. So as the listener would know, parenting is step two. And as you've said so many times, Darren, uh, step two can be a hard step for a lot of folks to work through. It's even though, yeah, we have six steps, let's roll through them as quick as we can. It's not always that's the case. And sometimes more people will spend more time at other steps than other people. And in this situation, depending on the age of your children, what's going on, you really need to work out your parenting time first. And we don't really have a lot of view from the listener on what sort of parenting time she's looking for. Uh, other than says she wants the majority of parenting time to herself. Well, does that comport with what happened historically? Does that work for what your children have always known and what would work with your schedule and your ex's schedule? So there's lots of pieces there that would have to be unpacked. She mentions travel out of the country, more traveling time than less traveling time. Maybe, maybe that's worth taking to, to court depending on where you're going or what you're doing. 
How often are you seeking to travel? That's necessarily a part of parenting time too. So I think this couple will spend a lot of time working out the parenting pieces. Um, more concerning, or I should say also concerning, in addition to the parenting, after the parenting's worked out, then maybe you can look child support. And if they're in a shared parenting situation, maybe they'll owe each other some child support. It might be different. Turning to property and that prenuptial agreement, I think is the most interesting wrinkle in all of this once you get through your parenting. One of the hallmarks of signing a prenuptial agreement is that everyone knows really what they're signing and that they had independent legal advice, meaning you had your own lawyer that was working squarely in your interest for you, even if that lawyer was possibly paid for for someone else, but that we can look at that agreement, look at what happened and say, did you know what you were signing? Did you know what you were giving up? And that's not as simple as saying, did a lawyer sign it with you? Did his lawyer sign it with you? We don't really know what happened here. In my view, it doesn't sound good. And if he surprised you with the surprise prenup, uh, you need to do this or there will be no wedding. In my mind, that speaks to some duress. Duress meaning uh, if you want your life to go forward, you have to do this, which means maybe you didn't have a free choice in signing that agreement. Maybe you didn't know totally all that was there. Uh, we don't know from the question, but it doesn't sound good. So there may be grounds for you and for the listener in challenging that prenuptial agreement to say what we theoretically agreed to in 2008 or whenever that was signed wasn't really what I wanted to do in thinking about a potential future breakdown of our relationship, which has happened. So step one, or I should say the sub-step in dealing with the property piece for you once you've dealt with parenting, because that is more important and what's going on with your children are more important than your property. But when we do finally turn to dealing with your property, the first step will be determining, does that prenuptial agreement actually stand here? Or are you going to challenge it in court as a valid agreement? And it might be set aside. And then you're looking at a different way for dividing up your property, perhaps more equally than what was initially contemplated in that agreement. But again, although that property piece is important, the listener well knows in thinking about the divorced and done steps, Number two, parenting is more important than number four, property. So let's focus on what's going on with your children first, and hopefully both of you can find a parenting arrangement that works. I agree. So you're at step two. You need to figure out if your parenting arrangement is appropriate or not. Based on the substance of your question, you don't think it is. So what's the likelihood your ex is going to agree to modify the existing parenting arrangement in terms of time spent between the two households? How would your ex agree to that? What would those negotiations look like if you were to negotiate them and stay out of court, which we would try and encourage you to do? If that's not possible, if you don't think it's likely your ex is going to agree to a parenting arrangement in good faith or enter negotiations in good faith, your next likely step would be to file an application or commencement document in your jurisdiction, uh, a divorce proceeding in this instance, because you are married to get an interim parenting order, right? You'd bring an application for an interim parenting order. Your your current status quo is a shared parenting arrangement, meaning at least one parent has 40% of the time under the child support guidelines. So you, you may ask to vary the status quo. Your arguments may be that he's not a good dad. He's um, not spending quality time with the children. Instead, he's downloading those responsibilities to third parties like nannies. A judge will then weigh all that evidence and make an order. Uh, that's going to be some months down the road. 
that may be what's necessary to get step two resolved, at least on an interim basis. So there's some stability and everyone knows what they're doing going forward. That application would also involve you asking likely for permission to travel internationally with the children for X length of time to go to whatever locations you are going to, to visit with extended family. Uh, that may have some COVID overlay to it. Uh, so you're going to have to relay all those circumstances in your application. We're going to a country, you know, the country is, uh, suitable for travel. There's no travel advisories, you know, at the time you bring the application, all that sort of stuff. That should be step two. What are, what are we doing for parenting? Either you guys are going to agree on it or court's going to tell you what to do. Then you move to child support. Step three, that will stem from your parenting arrangement. That's just going to be based on the child support guidelines. So that shouldn't be too difficult. Next step is dividing property, right? Rob, you're exactly right. The threshold issue there is going to be, is this prenuptial agreement valid or not? And uh, I've done a TikTok on this case. Uh, the, the sort of seminal case on this is Rick versus Bransima. Uh, the citation for this case is 2009 SCC 10 Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, the court just talks about fairness in making domestic contracts. It looks like based at least what you've told us, there's some serious question about the validity of that prenuptial agreement, given the circumstances in which it was made and presented to you. Uh, so you may have a decent case at saying this prenuptial agreement doesn't withstand scrutiny under the Supreme Court's analysis in Rick versus Bransima. And you're welcome to look at that case on canlie.org, C-A-N-L-I-I.org. The citation against 2009 SCC number 10. You can also Google Rick versus Bransema, B-R-A-N-D-S-E-M-A, and uh, there's lots of blogs on it. But I think your, your prenuptial agreement has some serious uh, issues respecting whether it's a valid contract based on what you've told us. So hopefully that helps. Uh, we wish you well moving forward. Thank you for the very detailed question, and thank you for listening, and thank you for telling uh, others about our podcast. We really appreciate it. Let's move on to our second question. Hello from Ontario, listener says. Hello from BC and Alberta. Thanks for listening. Looking for similar cases where a court-ordered settlement agreement, separation agreement, was set aside due to findings of false financial disclosure. My ex and I were common law. We have two boys, ages eight and five. We got our final settlement agreement court-approved January 2021, one year ago. However, I believe my ex hid a large amount of assets, which would make his income, line 150 income on his tax return, about $400,000 greater than disclosed. I.e., he sold a secondary property during 2020 for $730,000, but only put $65,000 as taxable income. I believe my children who live with me deserve child support for 2021 based on the corrected income disclosure. How do I go about verifying his actual income? Is there a limitation period to consider as well? This is a very interesting question. Um, thank you for sending it. Rob, what do you think? Well, this follows on your conversation or your topic, your uh, discussion, excuse me, Darren, in the last question on uh, that prenuptial agreement. Similarly, final agreements, we need to know that we have complete disclosure from both parties. And as any listeners know, we've talked about this many times, before you reach an agreement or reach some final settlement, you need disclosure that backs that up. Full and complete financial disclosure. Both sides are entitled to it. 
in this situation, if you did not get that full and complete disclosure, as the listener here suggests, something that he's hiding income of $400,000 greater than disclosed and sold a property contemporaneous with that final settlement uh, that didn't capture all of that or that wasn't contemplated, meaning thought about by both parties when you reached your final deal, you may be able to open that up again. Uh, In terms of a limitation period to consider, limitations are necessarily dependent on what jurisdiction you're in. My simple thought would be, you know about this now, if you both still have lawyers, you should be raising this now. And receiving that financial disclosure piece, she's found out about this sale and potential change to his income, that will necessarily change the child support piece. And it's fairly straightforward going forward, thinking about child support in that final settlement that you have, there should be some language there. If you have child support um, clauses in your final agreement or final divorce judgment, that you'll both disclose your income every year and go through a review process on an annual basis. And this big elephant that you've discovered, this $400,000 change that he thinks he's so cleverly hiding, it should show up in the property and potentially will or will not show up in his taxable income, depending on how that's treated. Uh, So you will likely capture the gain for that, both in terms of property and potentially for child support as well. Coming on that Rick and Brancima case, um, I referenced that in the last answer to the question because I thought this would be a carryover for um, answer to this question. So the Supreme Court says, just just quoting, uh, this is from paragraphs 40 to 49 of this case. Um, I'll just quote parts of it. The court says, while parties are generally free to decide for themselves what bargain they are prepared to make, decisions about what constitutes an acceptable settlement can only authoritatively be made if both parties come to the negotiating table with information they need to consider what concessions to accept or offer. This requires that there be a duty on separating spouses to provide full and honest disclosure of all relevant financial information in order to help protect the integrity of the negotiating process. This duty not only anchors the ability of separating spouses to genuinely genuinely decide for themselves what constitutes an acceptable bargain, it helps ensure the finality of agreements. An agreement negotiated with full and honest disclosure and without expense exploitative tactics will likely survive judicial scrutiny, end quote. I think that gives you all the information you need to consider on this. If you have a lawyer, go talk to your lawyer and uh, raise the notion of we maybe need to set this uh, separation agreement aside. I totally agree with you, Rob. So thank you for sending that question and we really appreciate it. Let's go to our uh, last question for this week. Uh, Listener says, I have a few questions for you. Well, hopefully we have a few answers. My fiance pays child support for his 13-year-old daughter that lives in Manitoba with her mom, but mom refuses to let him call or FaceTime his daughter. He messages his daughter every day in the hopes he will be able to talk to her. The last contact he had with her was nearly two years ago. He pays child support for this child, even though he doesn't get to talk to her. He feels deflated. He's low income, and I was wondering if he's able to get on legal aid. We live in Kelowna as we are residents and his daughter's mother lives in Manitoba and she gets legal aid there. No one seems to want to help him and he simply just wants to talk to his daughter. My second question is, can she do that? Mom, that is. 
he doesn't have a problem paying for his daughter, but shouldn't he be able to have access to her? We are struggling as is. We have three children, two have disabilities, and his son is 10 and his mother gave up. Uh, sorry, this last portion of the question is a little bit tough to understand, but the, some of the kids have disabilities uh, and we just uh, need some answers to all of this. Um, so the, the questions here are basically, he doesn't have access to the daughter that lives in Manitoba with mom, but he's paying child support for this. Uh, I don't know where the proceedings are, but I'm going to assume they're in Manitoba, um, given what we know here, meaning that a court action has been filed in Manitoba and not in BC where he lives. So he wants to know, um, the listener's fiance or the listener here, the fiance of this gentleman uh, wants to know if he's able to get a lawyer in BC through legal aid, but more broadly and more importantly, does he continue to have to pay child support for a child he has no access to? I think that's the core of the question. I'll, I'll maybe address the legal aid piece, Rob, but what are your thoughts on this? The, this gentleman does not have access to his child, but pays child support for this child. What do you think? Yeah, on the legal aid piece first, even though you said you're going to address sure. it, let's, yeah. let's address that separately. So this individual there in BC, so you would actually know better than I would. I know in Alberta, I've had the privilege previously of representing folks through legal aid that had actions in other provinces. So even though someone, for example, lives here, but the child, like in this example, is in Manitoba with the former partner, there can be arrangements made to get people, either lawyers here or even in Manitoba, and the Legal Aid Society of whatever jurisdiction you're in will cover that representation through an interprovincial agreement that all the legal aid societies have. So it may be possible, assuming that there's already a court action going on for this child in Manitoba, for dad in BC to actually get some legal aid representation through BC legal aid for the Manitoba action. What's your thought on that? I think that's, I, I love your optimism, right? Oh, I, I'm always optimistic. You betcha. <laughs> we have I to know. be. Sometimes we differ on our level of optimism. I would say I tend to be less optimistic than you on many, many occasions. It's a fault of my own. Um, my thinking is it's going to be awfully difficult for uh, this, this fellow to get legal aid coverage in BC for a Manitoba action. That's just my own personal experience with this. I haven't done any legal aid work since I've been practicing in BC here for now almost three years. So I don't know on a personal level. Um, but I know generally our legal aid program for family law matters in British Columbia is underfunded and it's understaffed. And it's been my experience in hearing from people that I've done consults with. So again, I don't have direct experience with this, that scenarios like this, interprovincial matters, BC legal aid will not cover it, but I don't speak for legal aid. The best you can do is contact Legal Aid based out of Kelowna. It's now the new year. Their office should be open. You will not get an immediate answer from them, right? You, you, may, be at, you, you may be contacting them for some weeks or even months, okay? That's just the reality. I, again, I don't work for Legal Aid, but I know my own experience here in the Okanagan is that pe people have had some difficulties contacting Legal Aid. But the first step is the only way to know definitively is contact the legal aid office. Tell them your circumstances and say we'd like coverage. They will either allow the coverage or they will deny the coverage. If coverage is denied, then you're either going to determine, do I want to hire a private lawyer? And in that case, 
I would suggest that that lawyer be hired out of Manitoba if it's a Manitoba action, uh, because that lawyer is going to be familiar with Manitoba law, and uh, that would be a more suitable choice than picking a BC lawyer. Uh, or you're going to self-represent. Those are sort of your choices on that front. That's that's what I'd say on the legal aid piece. Thank you for your answer. And that's likely more topical on the BC piece than um, what my experience was in Alberta. But hopefully they can move forward with legal aid. In terms of the substance of the matter, uh, where they connect child support to the parenting, where the listener says he pays child support for a child that he doesn't even get to talk to unless mom says it's okay and it's been going on for two years, he feels defeated. I would say right off the top that parenting and child support are separate. Uh, Parenting is important. And unless there's a really good reason for why he's not getting that parenting time, and if he's contacting his child every day in the hopes to be able to talk to her, I'd say bring a parenting application. This child is almost 13. We don't know what's happened in the past. We don't know why they're in different jurisdictions. But you want to talk to your child, regardless of what's going on with child support, bring that parenting application. Now, with respect to child support, it's great that dads continue to pay it. They do suggest that they're struggling as a family in BC with multiple children here that have disabilities. That may be grounds for a hardship claim, meaning not able to pay your child support, at least at the prescribed level per the federal or provincial child support guidelines. Maybe. And a lawyer in Manitoba could help you with this uh, if you wanted to revisit that child support piece. But in my view, parenting and child support, while child support, again, is important not to diminish it, and we don't want people to not pay their child support because it's the right of the child, parenting is more important in my view than strictly child support dad wants to talk to his daughter wants to have some involvement there has been disconnected for two years bring that application for parenting time or at least to have some phone time or FaceTime to be able to contact your child while that child is in manitoba and he's in bc then hopefully the child support piece will work itself out and coming back to what we talked about talked about off the top hopefully legal aid can be of some assistance Bring that application though in uh, in Manitoba. I yes, think that's um, an important. If I didn't expressly say yeah. that, yes, do it in Manitoba. No, no, yeah. So bring that application in Manitoba, and yeah, I totally agree. Rob, Rob is one hundred percent right. Parenting time and child support are distinct issues. So I would say keep paying the child support, but bring a parenting application in Manitoba, and consider in consultation with either a Manitoba lawyer or a BC legal aid lawyer. Um. The, the hardship claim under Section 10 of our child support guidelines. In other words, I can't pay the table amount of child support for my Manitoba child because of the circumstances of my other biological children having uh, disabilities. That's a very, very difficult claim to make. Uh, Rob, you and I see those claims being made successfully very, very rarely. That's not to say you don't bring the application uh, because everyone's circumstances are unique and we don't know all of yours. But we wish you well. That sounds like a tough case, and and hopefully that parenting bridge can uh, can can be created, and and some relationship can be built here between um, the listener's fiance and his daughter, because that's always always a good thing for parents to have relationships with their with their kids, right? So, uh, thank thank you for those questions. We really appreciate it. And thank you everyone who sent questions this week. As always, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. Find us online at divorcedanddone, A-N-D.com. 
And as Darren said at the outset, if anyone has one of those Tony Little gazelles, we'd love to hear about it. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. This has been Divorced and Done. Thank you for being with us.